Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed after making a routine tackle during last week's final Monday night football game of the season. Hamlin had to be resuscitated on the field before being taken to a local hospital, and he is doing much better now. As a matter of fact, he has been released from the hospital. But it is unclear about what caused Hamlin to go into cardiac arrest, and the incident was a sobering reminder of just how dangerous football really is. So should football be banned? Let's get down to business. The business of being black today is football to ban or not to ban. Please welcome artist and MC Vince Ashton. Hi, Vince. Hey, how you doing? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for the excitement. Kicking it in on the one. I love it. The yes, author of the New York Times bestselling book Against Football, One Fan's Reluctant Manifesto. Steve Allman is here. Hi, Steve. Hi, Tammy. Good to be with you. Congratulations on that bestselling book. Yeah, for, it was bestseller for about 36 seconds, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Music producer and the co-host of New Old Heads Hip Hop Culture Podcast, Sean Longevity Stewart is with us. Hi, Sean. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And cheer coach Romel Williams is on deck. Hi, Romel. Hello, hello. How are you, Tammy? So let's talk about this. Uh, the NFL has majority black people playing for the league. Why should black people care if football is banned or not? Romel, you take it over. Uh, well, we should definitely care if it's banned or not. Um, being um, a cheerleading coach, the majority of our uh, the majority of the time when I'm coaching, I'm on the sidelines with the players. Uh, football is a it's a very dangerous sport, but it also for the young men that I'm around they're majority black as well. It's more of, it's more than just a team. It's a brotherhood. It is something that a lot of the young men in the neighborhood where I coach, it gets them off the street. It gives them more to focus on than just the sport. Um, like I said, it's very dangerous, but I also coach competitive cheerleaders. They're dangerous as well. I've, just at practice on Sunday, we did a basket toss where we threw a girl up. She went up and she landed straight down. They didn't even catch her. So that is dangerous, right? Yeah, that's Steve, dangerous. Why should black people care, Steve, if football is banned or not? Well, you know, more than two thirds of the NFL, and this probably applies to college football as well, and extends down into high school football, is you know majority African American. You'll note that very few of the coaches at those levels are African American, but it's you know one of the biggest businesses in the United States, and it is predominantly played, and the risk is predominantly assumed by african-american young men mostly as you know uh the hamlin injury shows us that's the african-americans are disproportionately and and tell me if this sounds familiar are disproportionately assuming the risk in this game yeah the word disproportionately somehow is synonymous with african-americans yeah. go figure sean should yeah. why why should black people care if football is banned or not well i i think i think steve touched on it touched on my point a little bit. It's, uh, you know, it is a sport that is in all sports, realistically, uh, you know, at a high level, um, there are more black athletes in the NFL, um, and more of the people at the top that are controlling the interests, uh, and the ownership of everything is mostly white people. Um, and, uh, when I look at it from that lens and I see the profit motives of everything, um, I feel like the uh, the people that are taking the most risk in general are at the uh, are playing the games and are not necessarily reaping all the benefits. I love that you see the profit motives and everything. I can tell this conversation is going to be real good today. <laughs> real good, Vince. Come on, get with us. Why should black people care? You're a black person. Why? Why should you care if football is banned or not? Yes, I am a black person. Um, you assuming know, assuming you are, I don't know. You're accurate. Okay? okay. Completely accurate in that assessment. Um, I, it's, it's so nuanced. I just feel that we should definitely care to Romello's point about it, not only being, um, you know, athleticism and entertainment, but it's a community. Um, it's a brotherhood that develops in this sport. But then when you also look at the profit margins, when you also look at the industry of it, it's systematically things that need to be 
you know, torn down or rehashed or rebuilt, that definitely affects um, African-Americans. That needs needs to be revisited and um, evolved as well. So, yeah, I sort of sit in the middle. <laughs> okay, okay, the middle. Uh, so is there a way to change the rules of football so that it isn't so dangerous? I know some rules have been changed uh, within the past few years, and a lot of people are saying, ah, oh, this is so whack, they're changing rules, football's not football anymore, you can't even hit a person anymore. This is for wusses. Come on now. So how do you feel about it? Anybody take that one on. Go for it. Um, I, I would definitely ask, that you address that question of whether you can't hit people anymore to the Hamlin family. Um, you know, that's ridiculous. The game is, a, is and, and I want to say this respectfully, it's just medical fact. You know, 10 years ago when 4,500 predominantly African-American players sued the NFL, their contention was that the NFL had hidden the dangers of the game from them, which is true. They put out a bunch, a bunch of junk science and they deny, just like big tobacco, that there was any risk to the players. And the medical evidence emerged that, and according to the NFL's own actuaries, up to 30% of the players were going to get chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is brain damage. So that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a workplace in America where 30% of the employees, if they're doing their job right, are going to get brain damage. Now, I just want to pose a hypothetical question. If that workplace was predominantly staffed by white people, would there be a hue and cry in this country? that there was Ooh. such a profoundly dangerous workplace. Interesting. So no, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Well, just there's no doubt that it is profoundly dangerous. There's also no doubt, as Vince said, and as other people have mentioned, that football is a brotherhood, that it provides an incredible um, forum for grace and, and, and power and strength and cooperation and perseverance and a lot of great values. But those qualities can be seen in church, in a theater, in a cheerleading squad, in an, in an academic competition, they don't have to come attached to the inherent risk of brain damage or damage to people's bodies. What we're tuning into in part, and I say this as a longtime football fan, is that the game is inherently savage, that there is something that is at risk. It's also incredibly intellectually challenging and strategically dense, but there is something in it that is undeniable, especially when we think about the Hamlin family. It is undeniable that the game involves violence inextricably. Yeah, you went Beyonce Meg the Stallion on us and said it's just flat out savage. I hear you. Um, Romel, I want you to talk about something Steve said, and that is that if most of the players were white, this would be a concern, a bigger concern than it is now. Do you believe that? Oh, absolutely. It would be a big, it would be absolutely a bigger concern if most of the players were um, white. However, I do want to touch on something else that um, touch on something else. The game is very savage and it is very dangerous. I think that if we're going to look at it from that point, we need to start teaching our young boys earlier in life about the dangers of it. And maybe they wouldn't go towards football so much because I know kids that are maybe five, six, seven years well, old. Well, I, but I think here, Romel, I got to step in on you because uh -huh. the reason why specifically black men and black parents, I should say black boys and black uh -huh. parents, I'm going to say uh -huh. black parents too. Uh -huh. We literally uh, dream of yeah. our our children being NFL stars yes. so that yes. they could make that money. It gets yes. us out of poverty. Yes. So I don't care how many times there's a DeMar Hamlin or someone has a concussion that's never ending that affects them for the rest of their lives. Black boys are going to always want to be in the NFL if that is what they do as children. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't think the medical I don't think you can medical explain that away to a young brother in the ghetto who's good at football. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and a lot of times, even if they don't want to play, like you said, their parents are going to push them to do it because they see that as a way as, as a way out of the ghetto. Like as a said. way out. Sean, jump in here for us. Yeah, um, I, I understand that. Um, I. I kind of uh, I thought about this quite a bit. And uh, what kind of comes to mind for me is I feel like in the United States of America, at least where we're from, you know, football is kind of a pastime. It's kind of part of 
who we are. We grow up with it. You know, many of us have friends, relatives, or we participate ourselves. We watch it, you know, you know, it's a part of our family structure. Almost. Yeah. It's almost like it's part of American is like, and Apple especially pie. if you're from the South, the South loves <laughs> their football. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I feel like there's an indoctrination of sorts that's kind of built into us. I, I use that word loosely, but I do feel like we are just kind of predisposed to look at football in general as something that's a part of us. And I think it's a, it's a hard conversation to have to people who have built that within um, kind of the infrastructure of who they are. Yeah, um, it's like taking it's like, you know, if we all really like football, we're going to try to find excuses to why it's uh, it's not as dangerous as this or all sports are dangerous to some degree or, you know, um, but yeah, that that would be, you know, I, I feel like there's. I don't know if football will ever go away in this country. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but, but, <laughs> I'm thinking, but I think no. That, yeah, I would just say, I think there's a conversation. I think we need to have the conversation on how dangerous right. it really is. And that's is. exactly what we're having right now. The NFL has made changes uh, to its concussion policy over the past several years after more information about the brain disease, CTE, has become available. So does the NFL care about its players or are they just trying to keep the business going and look good? If I may jump in, I feel like... Um, hold, I think that it's both. hold that thought, Vince. I don't want you okay. to start and we have to stop because I'm going to uh, take a little turn here and head to commercial. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. And the business of being black today is should football be banned? Are we stretching it here? Vince, before we left, you were going to tackle the question about CTE. The NFL has made changes to its concussion policy over the past several years after more information about the brain disease CTE has become available. So the question is, does the NFL care about its players or are they just trying to keep their business going? Are they just trying to CYA? <laughs> CYA, I love that. Um, I actually think you hit the nail on the head with both. I think in terms of them being quote unquote caring, they need to care more. I think that they have made some medical investments in the players, but I just feel like the way that technology is advancing, the health field is advancing, there should be more um, just investment in, in those tactics, in those strategies, in those just practical applications. I know for me personally, I work at Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the Falcons and Atlanta United. And I know for a fact that there is a piece of technology called the Zebra that is um, in the locker room and it's in the stadium bowl. And what it does, it scans the entire field as the players are playing and underneath the pad, their pads are like some microchips. And these microchips are constantly um, sending back the, 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 um, the vitals of what the players are feeling, you know, wear and tear all those things to um, the medical professionals and all those folks that are working at the game that day. So I think that's a great, you know, advancement that, you know, the NFL, or I would say maybe it may be just our stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium has has invested to protect their players. Is that streamlined through MLS? Is that streamlined through the NFL? Do all teams have that protective, you know, uh, reinforcement available? I'm not sure. But I do think that um, these medical things need to be implemented, not only the NFL, but streamlined through football, as we talked about earlier, from, you know, childhood status all the way up in the event that they get to the NFL. Um, there needs to be a lot more investment medically and in terms of that technology for them to really show that they care and it's priority. And so this, this, this zebra chip that you're talking about, it's in the, the shoulder pads. Yeah. So they basically have like these microchips. Um, I know for football players is in the shoulder pads for soccer players is like placed um, underneath their kits, but there's two huge panels that, sit inside the locker room and sit in the stadium bowl. And it's sort of like watching the Jetsons or like something futuristic. Right. It just sort of scans the field and the, and the, the medical professionals are able to see it on the iPads or the tablets. Um, and, you know, and that is a source of prevention. If, you know, someone of a heart rate is to, you know, increase, okay, we need to pull this player off right now, you know? So right. again, I don't know if that's for all NFL teams, but it does exist. Okay. It, all right. can, I, I'll definitely weigh in because um, I wrote the book called Against Football. So you know what I'm going to say. 
I think the, <laughs> the NFL is a business, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business. And um, not only do I think that what matters ultimately is the profits and the game isn't gonna change until fans change their behavior, because right. it's not gonna hit them in the pocketbook. But I would even go further and say, I don't think very controversially, the NFL is systemically racist. And I'm not saying that as an accusation. Back a couple of years ago, remember I talked about that lawsuit where 4,500 players sued the NFL? Yeah. And um, they won. The NFL settled out of court for billions of dollars to try to make that problem go away because they knew it was a huge PR problem that a lot of their former players were developing brain damage. They didn't want the families talking about it. They didn't want the players talking about it. But in fact, when they did the actuarial estimates, they did something called race norming, which is they assumed that African-American -Amer players had a lower intellectual capacity and therefore less brain power to lose. That is... NFL assumed that African-Americans were inherently, as a race, less intelligent than whites or other ethnicities. That is the literal definition of racism. And they, in fact, were sued by a couple of NFL players, and they had to admit that they had used race norming, and they had to compensate the African-American players. I think it is baked into the entire equation, Tammy, and I would go a step further since you talked about kids who growing up in economically disadvantaged neighborhoods like in Liberty City in Miami, where I used to spend a lot of time. The reason that football is seen as the one path out is because our culture, which is systemically racist, hasn't seen fit to provide certain communities, particularly African-American communities, with economic opportunity with good schools, with well-paid teachers, with social workers, with support for working mothers and working fathers and families. And because that is so disproportionate, America has set up this kind of sickening lottery where only certain kids from those communities can get out. And why can they get out? Not because of the content of their character, since Dr. King's birthday is coming up, not because of the content of their character, but because they are exceptionally good at running and jumping and tackling and catching a football. I think that's perverse. I think that is part of the problem of systemic racism in this country. And I'm not accusing every fan of participating and being racist. What I'm saying is the NFL is predicated on a system that essentially harvests mostly poor kids and mostly poor kids of color from certain communities. And it is our culture's responsibility that we haven't provided equality and equity in those communities, economic opportunity. Yeah, I've often wondered um, because I know of the story you're talking about where the NFL decided that black men have less brain capabilities than white uh, than their white counterparts. And I've often wondered myself why um, why the black community was not outraged by that in a way that um, that created a little more in a way that was more beneficial for us. Um, and it seems to me that no matter what happens in the NFL, uh, people are not going to not going to boycott, not going to not right. watch. I mean, you know, even going through the whole Callan Kaepernick thing uh, and, right. and, you know, in spaces and spots, there were these little miniature boycotts. But um, Sean, I want to ask you, do you think this is a white man sport? And perhaps that's why uh, many people won't uh, won't come out about the dis the disadvantages of black people being a part of this sport. That's an interesting question. Um, I I don't know exactly. Well, because I, I you talked you talked about how it's a part of it's embedded in the American culture, and right. even though baseball is literally the American you know uh, sport uh, is is hailed as the American sport right. pastime, right? Um, but enough of us watch football, and it makes a ton of money. Yeah, I, I, I just think uh, I don't want to go too far left, but I just think, uh, you know, the NFL kind of what has already echo what's already kind of been said is that the NFL is big business. And, um, you know, when I look at when I think about the again, the, I, the profit motives of sorts, you know, the. The NFL in general is is something that is going to look for profits over everything. Um, and so if, if I think of it from that lens, I'm looking at ownership, right? So I'm looking at mm -hmm. who owns the NFL, who owns, who's in charge of everything. So uh, I think from a consumer standpoint, I think 
everybody consumes it. Um, but you know, if we, if we follow the, the pipeline up, you know, it's, you know, it's white ownership for the most part. Right. Uh, Vince, go ahead. Yeah. Well, two things really quickly. So I have to piggyback off of what Steve was saying about how, um, you know, in the black community, the neighborhoods, you know, what what children are not exposed to. Um, I think that's one side, but I think there's also an accountability that as black people, we have to um, sort of have sort of have ownership of. And that's just in the, the amount of investment of the glitz and glamour and celebrity and power of of becoming an NFL star, what that means for the household and, and the huge desire that a lot of these athletes, and as you mentioned, Miss Tammy earlier, a lot of the parents of these athletes want. And I think once we sort of, because even for me, like going, growing up in high school, it's like the football team was the thing. You know, nobody was talking about the, the technology team or the drama team or anything. We all were going to the foot, not even the basketball, not even swimming, not even tennis, you know? So I think that we also have to take ownership like, yo, there are other things, other industries, other facets of life that we, that can be as equally, you know, um, um, you know, successful, equally, you know, great for my pockets that, you know, we put that glitz and glamour and celebrity to, to get us out of that football is the only thing. Um, for us to sort of get out of this area. But now we're sort of conditioned by it, right? It's very difficult to to not be a part of something that has been a part of you for so long. That takes a lot of work. But you know what? I also feel like there was this big thing during the pandemic that our community was saying this word unlearning. Um, you know, during COVID and the pandemic, there was some systematic things and, you know, from past generations that have taught younger generations that just don't fit. And I feel like as a community, there's some unlearning and some things that we have to recognize. This is not okay. We use the word. I know it's not okay that I go to a commercial break, but I have to do it, Vince. Let's go. Okay. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack. And the business of being black today is football. To ban or not to ban, please welcome artist and MC Vince Ashton, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Against Football, One Fan's Reluctant Manifesto, Steve Allman, music producer and the co-host of New Old Heads Hip Hop Culture Podcast, Sean Longevity Stewart, and cheer coach Romel Williams is here as well. Um, so let's talk about football players who are not in the NFL. Uh, it was mentioned here earlier on the panel, most notable high school football players don't have the benefit of the NFL's resources to prevent and treat concussions and other injuries uh, or not even just high school college as well is it safe for high school students or college football players uh, to play football I'm going to jump in just because I did all this research for against football and um, they did a fascinating study uh, out in Ohio um, they put monitors in uh, in the helmets of a, of a couple of um, high school football teams and they wanted to see if there was a correlation between uh, the hits that they received and the brain function, right? And so they expected that the kids who received concussions would have lower brain function over the course of the year, which they did. But what's really frightening is that the kids who were in the control group who had not received concussions also had lower brain function. Oh, wow. Well, the reason for that, Tammy, is that the danger in football isn't really um, like concussions, and it's not even really violence. When I think about football, I don't think it has a violence problem or it has a concussion problem. It has a physics and physiology problem. That is, the brain is a soft organ inside a hard shell, and mass times acceleration equals force. As the players get bigger and stronger, they hit each other with more force. Again, I would speak to the Hamlin family about this, right? Um, and, and there are literally in the course of practicing football or playing it, players are absorbing hundreds and thousands over the course of a season and tens of thousands over the course of a career of sub-concussive events. That is little car accidents that you don't see that are happening inside the helmets. That is what the medical, the neurologists now tell us cause chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's not the big concussions that happen to Tua or another player. It is the accretion of tens of thousands of sub-concussive events. 
And that's this sort of invisible danger that the fans never really see. We see when there's a big hit, there are all those parabolic mics that have the crowd going, ooh, and we think, right. oh, that's what's dangerous in football. But in fact, what's dangerous is invisible. It's hidden from view. And it's all these subconcussive events. And that happens to players in their high school and in college. And as you guys all know, one in one, one in 500 players, high school players is gonna make it to the NFL. That doesn't mean that their brains haven't been shaken around over the many years. All right, good, great point. Yeah, great point. Romel, I want to get you in on the conversation. Well, um, just even speaking about DeMar Hamlin, he was saved by an AED machine. That was a quick response to him having his, what happened to him. I'm in Ohio. We're not, every, every school in Ohio is not granted those machines. That in itself speaks to the inequality and the everybody not having the same equity in medical and medical devices. Furthermore, I know a lot of times football is very dangerous in high school and college, especially depending on what college and high school you go to. Some high schools and colleges, they do have, you know, up-to-date. Um, helmets, up-to-date shoulder pads. A lot of the schools where, where I'm from in Cleveland, they barely had helmets. They barely had shoulder pads. And then when they did have it, they were old and worn. So that in itself, even before you get to the hitting and the, and the, and the whatever you do in football, that in itself is dangerous because you don't have a, the proper things to shield you from yeah, that's a great point. point. That's a great yes. point, Romeo. Uh, obviously, uh, DeMar Hamlin had uh, the proper resources that he needed in order to survive, literally. And yeah. are, are, you know, are college or high school football players granted those same medical uh, devices? Players have full autonomy over their decision to continue playing football, though. Isn't it their decision whether the sport should continue to be played and not the people's decision, Sean? That is a question that I that it kind of has me on the fence back and forth about it, because I, I would say that uh, me personally, I'm. I don't watch football anymore. I kind of abstained from it. And I was able to see it from a lens and how you know violent it is. Uh, but it's something that weighs on me because. Um, Number one, I don't believe that it's ever going to go away. So there's that part of me that just kind of just like, well, you know, what can we actually do? Um, but I would also say that uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, um, as far as solutions to to make the game safer, they're very reactive. I mean, I don't think there's anything. The game is inherently dangerous. Like that's that's the intent of the game. So you know. I don't know if people want to put their bodies through that. If they want to do that, then I don't know. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, they yeah. know exactly what they're getting into, right? Yeah. So during From a game a last year, level, at least, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. During a game last year, uh, Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua uh, Tungvaloa uh, mm -hmm. suffered his second apparent head injury in four days, causing his hands to stiffen in an unnatural and disturbing position, uh, which neuroscientist and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation uh, described as a brain response to trauma. Tua would later go on to suffer from a third brain injury uh, of this season last month. Does Tua's continued exposure to head trauma show that football players are not being protected? Or does it show they just want to be a part of the game that they love and that they work so hard to be a part of? Tammy, it shows both things at once. That's right, both. Yeah, right? Both. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's simultaneous. Yeah. You can't say to the players, hey, um, this is the one path, especially to address the African-American community. This is because we're living in a systemically racist country. This is your one path to destiny and glory. If you're an African-American young man growing up in a community that is economically struggling, we're not going to give you schools. We're not going to give you economic opportunity. We're not going to give you social workers or child care or any of that stuff. We are going to say, here's your path out. And if you are the one in a million people who has those skills and talents, we're going to give you millions and millions of dollars and the kind of celebrity that Vince talked about. There is nobody in their right mind of any color, hue, ethnicity, so forth, who wouldn't make that bargain. The question is, right. why does our culture create that bargain for people? Why is there not a wider sense of what 
a, a young man growing up in such a community can be? Why do we think when we hear University of Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan, why don't we think about a classroom? Why don't we think about a laboratory? Why do we think about a football team? This because is it's easy. Point. We have to start unlearning the idea that somehow a beautiful, savage game is the most important thing to our national destiny. And again, I would just say to Dr. King, since his birthday is coming up, he had things to say about the way that we should conduct ourselves as moral citizens that are just striking. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. That's Dr. King. Now, I'm not condemning anybody who chooses to play football or even anybody who chooses to watch it, but we should have those words hanging in our mind when we're thinking about spectacles like watching Damar Hamlin or watching Tua or watching any of these guys engaged in a sport that requires them to suppress their empathy, just to yeah. do their job, that requires them to put their bodies on the line. Yeah. Steve, you've given us some uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, uh, us on Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> well, we just know that I have a dream speech. Hold on Come now, on. Steve. Where you going? Where you going? Come through. Those, those, those words <laughs> Come were through. listen. Tammy, those those words were on murals all over Liberty City of when course, I was yes. reporting down down in Miami. Th those those words were emblazoned all over the walls, but the same walls were housing a, 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 a culture that was in the thrall of football because it was the only thing, in my yeah. view, it was the only. Go thing ahead, Vince. Go ahead, Vince. And in that word unlearning, I also feel like we have to promote those other talents, those uh -huh. other industries. Like one thing that I really appreciate is Black Panther, the mo the Marvel movie, the fact that they um, broadcast the power of technology and how cool and how lucrative and how amazing technology can be. I think the more that we have those huge industries broadcasting other things outside of football uh, or athletics, period, then you will have that gravitational pull from just youngsters and just people in life that get inspired that want to pursue those things as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll be right back after this break on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack on Foxhole. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack, and the business of being black today is football. Should it be banned? So, Sean, you talked to us earlier about how football is almost like America's pastime. We love it. We love watching our sons grow up in a football world. The first thing that a father does with his son is toss the football around. The old pigskin, they call it. Right. Why do you think Football is so popular in America, but not nearly as popular around the world. Well, well, that's that's a good question. Um, my wife is actually Ecuadorian, and um, it's I've witnessed that firsthand to where uh, it's super embraced in other countries, and a lot of people outside of the country don't really even pay attention to American football quite like mm. that. Um, so uh, I, I think it's. I, that's a, I don't, I actually do not know the answer to why American football has taken off the way that it has here. Um, but it is interesting. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, I don't really have. A well, I wonder that. if it's the the money, but it, the reason why football makes so much money is because of the fans. Like you can't make money without a following, right? For sure. So, I, I, um, yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, I, I feel like the 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 sports. Um, in general, in, in a particular, uh, particular society reflect the society itself. So when we look at the USA, it reflects our capitalist society and it reflects the things that, you know, that benefit from it. So if we think of like sports has become super big business, even outside of just the United States, um, and it's to be sold and it's not to be played necessarily. Um, but all of the issues that we're even talking about today uh, echo, like if it, it, excuse me, if we talk about like, um, uh, the, the labor disparities, or we talk about the, maybe like the social movements involved in the NFL and stuff like that in sports, they transgress across society. So I, I feel like, um, in general, our, 
I don't know. I guess I don't know what I'm necessarily getting at right here, but I feel like it's super big business when it comes down to it. And I feel like we're all engulfed into it and we just, yeah, it's just what we, yeah. it's just what it is. I, I, I feel internationally. I think that other countries outside of the U S are already so invested in soccer and we know, or the real football, F U T B O L. Um, I feel like they're already just committed to that. And we know that the world cup is like the largest thing, you know, on the planet basically. Right. So maybe that's part of the reason why they haven't or why, yeah, why they have embraced football, NFL football, as well as why we're slow, sort of slow to embrace soccer in the States. Um, and then I also want to just bring up this quick um, similarity. I know we mentioned Colin Kaepernick's name. I don't know if anybody had a chance to watch his Netflix documentary, but when he, you know, painted that picture of how slave auctions mirror, you know, the NFL um, combine and um, what is that? Yeah. Uh, draft. Draft, you know, Shoot, maybe from conception, NFL players, NFL owners, you know, adapting to their mindset, just saw how lucrative that could be, getting, you know, a bunch of black men together and mirroring the, the slave auction. And it just, it started, or not started, but it has run its course since, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that could be a reason, two reasons. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to, again, I'm going to make the argument as the guy who wrote against football that, that our consumption of football is racially charged there are the owners and there are the players who are being judged essentially on the same criteria that a slave would in a slave auction yes does the signing bonus make that go away do the millions make that go away there's a, a a double standard if you listen for instance to sports talk radio it's mostly white guys talking about players in in a way that is utterly contemptuous and degrading. He's a beast. He's a specimen. He's a coward because he didn't do this and such, or he wanted to you know, protect his body. Uh, the same thing prevails. But they seem to be okay with it, Steve. Yeah, they're absolutely okay with it because white people in this culture are absolutely okay with treating African-Americans. But as I, I, I'm referring to African-Americans. They seem to be okay with it. Right. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Absolutely. And that's that applies sort of across the board. But what I'm getting at is there's a familiar and to me really troubling dynamic, which is you can be a fan cheering for a, a, a great play on the field. Right. And it's made by a, a, an African-American who's six two and, you know, 280 pounds and just as fit as can be and a brilliant athlete. And if that same white fan saw that person coming towards them, walking down the street at night, they would have a very different reaction. They would be reaching for their cell phone because the idea is in their head that African-Americans and especially African-American men are inherently more dangerous, more, uh, more, more savage, more violent, more aggressive. And part of that unlearning is essentially that football traffics in that reality every yep. single Sunday and Saturday. And I'm not saying that to say football should be banned. I'm saying it is a part of the larger problem of systemic racism. And in fact, Tammy, I applaud you for even having the guts to have a show suggesting that the possibility yeah. exists that we could question football because most major outlets and Fox, the main station in particular, wants nothing to do with that. They want to scare people into thinking, oh, they're going to take away our football. Oh, they're going to take away our hamburgers or our guns. That's that not how football right. is going to go away. Football well, I may not have a show after this. Romel, Romel, please uh, uh, join us. Yeah. Um, the, one of the reasons why I think it's so popular in America and not everywhere else is because America glorifies violence. You know, we glorify, you know, uh, you know, we, you know, we love to see the hits and, you know, the big plays and things like that. And, and yeah, but also out. there's world star hip hop. There's yeah. scary movies. Yeah. The Jeffrey Dahmer story. Well, you yeah. know, one of the most watched Netflix shows. Yeah. yeah. Keep going, Romel. You're, yeah, you're so, a yeah. So unfortunately, I mean, that's just a reality. I mean, we love violence and and i and i think what um what the one gentleman was bringing up about soccer is not that dangerous it's not that quote-unquote exciting to us americans so it's not going to get the playtime that it does everywhere else versus football i mean even like when you see on sports center i don't really don't watch it but when you watch baseball and basketball they show the fights more than anything right mm. 
and they and 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 they and they barely fight. But they show the first thing you'll see is a fight. Is because in America we glorify violence, although we're supposed to be a quote unquote unviolent society. Uh, although but we're we supposed can. to be a civilized country, right? right? Exactly. The but average life expectancy of. I'm sorry. Who? Go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you. I just said talk about it. You're talking oh, okay. heavy. That's good stuff. <laughs> the, average, uh, the average life expectancy of people in the United States is about 77 years old. But science.org reports the average life expectancy of NFL football players is about 59 years old. So what are your thoughts about these statistics, uh, Vince? I think that's terrible. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Tammy, that these football players have complete autonomy over their body. and you know, I'm sure a lot of them know this, you know, statistic, this fact that you just brought up, but they continue to place themselves in the line of fire. Um, I, I don't because understand. I want to feed why... my family, Vince. I got to feed right. my family. I want to make sure that my family is covered when I'm gone. That's 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 correct. And, you know, it's a sticky situation. And even in this moment, I'm sort of having empathy. Um, for a lot of these players, because I think at conception of just wanting to pursue football and that small amount of players that do make it to the NFL, I'm sure there's a huge amount of pressure from the families, from their communities. You got to make it because you got to take care of all of us. And even to the gentleman in Miami Dolphins that suffered from three concussions, I'm sure that he knows the reality like this is life or death for me. But when, when, when the lights are off, when the cameras are off and he's going back home, only God knows what his community is saying. Only God knows what his wife wife and kids are saying so I, yeah it's sticky for them and i, I want to add this too um steven i'm not sure um if if this is a thought that you had but i mean even though you have talked about um african americans and our status as being disproportionate in everything in this country right um but if there are no opportunities for us elsewhere and we see it in this specific place where they are literally looking for us. They want us. They are willing to pay us. Uh, I'm, I'm a radio personality and radio stations owned by white people. They won't hire me and I'm damn good, you know, right. but I, and I work for an owner who's black right now. And most um and I'm just talking about radio, right? We can talk about uh, we can talk about technology. We can talk about uh, uh, corporations, banks. We can talk about so many other spaces that black people are not welcomed into as well as football. We'll talk about those spaces when we return on Business of Being Black. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. So the question, Steve, is, uh, I mean, football is the space where black people literally are welcomed and rewarded for their talent. If you go to Microsoft, you don't see many executives who are black. If you look into uh, hospitals, you don't see many black doctors. If you look on airplanes, there aren't many black pilots. And I spoke about before I left, even when you look at radio stations that play hip hop music, black people's music, we're not allowed in that space to be the morning show DJ or the program director or the afternoon jock, but football, our talents seem to be appreciated and rewarded. So how can you blame, uh, uh, you know, black men for going in that direction? And, and in fact, I never would. I wouldn't question any player's decision because we have no idea what their experience is. Um, and I think people are speaking about all the pressure that is on somebody who's a star athlete of any kind, but especially a, a star football player. I'm not going to speak to that. They make their own decision. What I'm interested in is the incentives around them. And the point you're making is that we it, it's not some crazy coincidence that our culture, American culture, says, hey, here's the message to you, a young boy of color. OK, uh, you are valuable for not for the content of your character, not for your intelligence or creativity, but for your physical prowess, for how fast you can run and how hard you can, you know, how far you can throw a ball and how. Which is know. equivalent to how they judged slaves. Exactly. Yep. And I think it fits in. I mean, there's a reason it's not some crazy coincidence that football is such a big deal in the South. That is the cradle of the Confederacy. 
white people are used to looking at African-Americans as essentially laborers, as people who are inherently physically stronger and more gifted and intellectually not as gifted. That is a mindset. And it's all over the place when you start to like, like me, if you listen to sports talk radio, it's not even subtle. He's a beast. He's a specimen. What do yeah. they say about a white player? Oh, I want to really get smart. to this real quick. Romel, maybe you can uh, touch on this question. The college mm-hmm. football national championship game between the University of Georgia and Texas uh, Christian University took place this week. And Sports Illustrated reported that the average ticket price to that game was more than four more more than $1,400, which seems to be far more than the average college student can afford. Are football players being used for financial gain here, Romel? Absolutely. Absolutely. You mean to tell me I go to the school, I'm in classes with them. I may even be, I may live in the same dorm as them, but I can't go to a game because I can't afford a a $1,400 ticket. That is insane. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you all couldn't have put a, a certain amount of tickets aside for the students so that they can enjoy the 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 game. Yeah. That is John. How do you feel about that ticket price? I, I, my first thing that comes to mind is how much are the players getting, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I think we know zero. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if the, the, what the nil, you know, the nil, the name image likeness contracts. I don't know how that's been, uh, you know, influxed with college football necessarily. So I know some college athletes are getting paid, but, that's the first thing that comes to mind is like, it just seems like they're just trying to, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. That's a bit much. Sean, I want to stay on you here real quick. Should we um, have similar discussions about other violent sports being played like boxing, mixed martial arts, hockey? Sure. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, me personally, this is just a personal anecdote, but I'm, I just don't get into anything where the the intent is to kind of destroy the other person. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's just kind of me. You know, I understand that there's, (laughs) that we love it. You know, like I think Romel mentioned, you know, like it's, we, we like that stuff here in the United States of America, you know, and uh, it's, it's just kind of what it is. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vince, how do you feel about that? Should we discuss other uh, uh, boxing, martial arts, hockey, hockey, which to me is not really that violent. They just seem to be uh, violent people sometimes. (laughs) There's always a boxing or martial arts uh, situation that breaks out in a hockey match. Right. Right. It's funny that you mentioned hockey because I completely forgot about the sport and we use the word savage and I use the word barbaric. I would say hockey is just as barbaric as, as football. You know, these guys are getting pucks and, 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 you know, sticks and missing teeth and, you know, ran up against the wall. So all in all, to answer your question, I do feel that, you know, all of these sports that are of that type of savage intent um, should definitely be reassessed and talked about and um, making sure that these guys, if this is what they want to do, make sure that they have the medical needs and investment to keep them on earth as long as it can be, you know, yeah, as long and, as they and can. Hel- yeah, and healthy as well. Definitely. Sean, tell us about the new Old Heads Hip Hop Culture Podcast. Yeah, uh, it's a hip hop culture podcast. Yeah, uh, it's uh, myself and three other people uh, that we have uh, been in hip hop culture as producers, DJs, radio personalities, um, educators, media people for you know over two decades, and uh, we started doing a show every week about six six years or so, and we've done a show every week, so we're live every week, um, and we talk for two hours, and we turn that into an hour long show. So yeah. That's I I love it. I I love I love the idea of the show completely. It's so dope. And I love hip hop as well. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to tune into that one. Romel, what is the best way people keep up with you? Tell us what you got working on. Well, right now I am busy in my competitive season. I work at a competitive cheerleading gym here in Cleveland called World Elite. We will be heading out to Indianapolis to our huge um, nationals event called Jam Fest. And also I coach a a local high school here. And this will be the first time that our high school will be heading to regionals and hopefully states. So hopefully we can become the first 
all black team in Ohio to receive a state championship. So nice. Well, cheering, which is also a rather dangerous sport. Very, very, yeah. especially, especially the one that, um, especially the competitive cheerleading with the yeah. tumbling and the building and things like that. I watch those competitions dangerous. all the time. I haven't yeah. seen any on television lately though. I was like, where did cheerleading go? Cause yeah, they used to have no those competitions on TV all the time. Yeah, so normally, so our biggest events, which is the Summit and the Cheerleading Worlds, they happen in, like, late April, early oh, May. Oh, but uh, probably because of the pandemic, though. That's why well, right, nothing yeah. happened. Yeah, Vince, yeah. please tell us about the Five Guys on Live podcast and your new music. Yeah, so Five Guys on Live is a podcast with um, four of my good friends, and we have a revolving fifth chair. It comes on Monday nights. Our new season is going to kick off early February, and we talk people, politics, and pop culture. A great time. And then we have an after show on Instagram Live, so follow me if you want to, you know, look that up. And then I have new music. I've been singing for a while. Um, I have a Tringle, three singles, dropping at one time on February 24th. So I'm really excited about these records coming out, and they will be made available for you to stream. So let's go. All right, let's go. Okay, a tringle. Uh, <laughs> Steve, against football, one fan's reluctant manifesto. Yeah, yeah. People can find that. They can find me if they want to hear uh, any more of my ranting uh, at, uh, at Steve Almond Joy. I, I, I'm on Twitter like, you know, once a day when I remember to. And uh, I feel like a low achieving person uh, next events. I don't have a tringle. But I really <laughs> applaud you, Tammy. A super interesting conversation. Like I say, like I don't think football should be banned. I think that's something in America. The really the consumers decide. The fans decide. We're the ones who make that decision. And my only argument is let's make let's make an informed decision. Let's really be thinking about what it is we're watching and what it says about us and why it has such deep meaning for us to watch big guys, mostly people of color, smash into each other. Thank you so that's, much, Steve, Romel, Vince, and Sean. That is the business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Until next time, y'all, it's a blessing to be in your box.